Welcome to Don't Shrink Back, the podcast. We do a podcast version, also a video version of the series. You can find us at don'tshrinkback.com. I'm Heidi Harris. Don't Shrink Back comes from Hebrews 10.39. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. More and more we see people culturally who just don't seem to want to stand up, but there are many people who are. This podcast celebrates people who are morally courageous, spiritually courageous, culturally courageous. So I hope you join us on this journey. I hope you tell somebody about it and find us at don'tshrinkback.com, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, don'tshrinkback.com. And you can email us if you'd like to offer suggestions for people you think should be highlighted as the courageous people they are. We hope to embolden you and enlighten you and entertain you too. I just read a great book that you all need to know about. It's called The End of Woman. The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. Great history on how the feminist movement really evolved. It's not new. Everybody acts like it's new or from the 70s or whatever. Oh, no, 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 no. Great information here and uh, great advice for trying to turn things around. Dr. Carrie Gress, thanks for being here. So happy to have you. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. So, talk to me a little bit about the history of feminism, mm -hmm. because there are a lot of people who will say, yeah, but we needed the feminism because we wouldn't have these rights or those rights or this or that, right? It was all about the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. But the roots of this are a little more pernicious than that. So can you yeah. talk about that? Yeah, no, I, this was an amazing book to research because I found completely new data that I, I hadn't read anywhere. You know, I, I think like so many of us think that feminism really took sort of this left-hand turn back in the 60s with second wave and that, but prior to that, everything was lovely and, you know, great platitudes and all, all kinds of nice things about women. And um, I I, wanted, I really wanted to dig into it and just for myself, see it all and just find the lovely stuff and run with that and then just be able to really focus on, on the problems with the second wave. Um, but what I found was actually totally astounding. I mean, mind blowingly astounding because, um, there were, there were three main things that I found about feminism that go all the way back to almost the very earliest days of it. Um, one of them is the, this idea of free love and al allowing women to, um, curtail their fertility and, and be able to have sexual relationships the way that men do. Um, the other, and getting rid of monogamy, of course, is part of that free love movement. Um, the occult was another piece that was very much involved in it. Um, we can talk about this with, uh, you know, women like Elizabeth Cady Stanton mm -hmm. and Susan B. Anthony. Um, and then the third one was this idea of getting rid of the patriarchy. It wasn't called that initially, but that was the initial idea that has come down to us. And um, that that was the third piece of it. So those were sort of the three pieces that made up the ideology of, of feminism from the, the very beginning. Um, but I think more importantly, the, the question that they were asking also from the very beginning was, how do we make women more like men? Because they saw the lives of men and thought they're much better than women's lives. So why don't we become more like men? Um, so I think if you kind of frame the whole understanding of feminism with that question in mind, then suddenly what we you know, are seeing in the second wave makes a lot more sense. And, we, and it, certainly how we even get to the trans movement makes a lot more sense because it's been this whole arc of pushing women more and more towards this sort of genderless or even this, um, you know, idealization of the masculine um, in, in the world. And that's, you know, why we can't define what a woman is today, because we've really idealized the male instead of really looking at what it is that women bring to the table in unique and beautiful ways. Yeah, it's very true. I recently talked to a guy who's 42 mm -hmm. and I interviewed him because he happens to be vaccine injured. I'd interviewed him in another context and then he came to town and we met in person. We were talking. He's happily married. And I've been married for over 20 years. I'm not in the dating world, obviously. But he said, you know, all the men my age are depressed. 
mm-hmm. because they don't know what women want. Yeah. And the more I've been looking into this and watching people on YouTube, much as I hate YouTube, it's like an evil. You hate them, but you, you know, because they censor right. you. But you still, there's still things on there you want to see. Right. But there are, there are guys talking about this on YouTube, mm-hmm. how depressed they are, how they've given up dating and all of this kind yeah. of thing. And, and this friend of mine said, they want us to be all the things that we don't know how to be. You know, we, mm-hmm. we're happy to be providers and protectors, but now they want us to be 50 other things. Yeah. And I've been talking to young males that I know about this kind of, this kind of whole concept and watching what these other guys are saying. And it's so true. And your book, when I was, you know, reading through the history of feminism, it's bringing a lot of this out. Women are thinking, mm-hmm. well, there's something missing but I don't know what it is. Now I've got all this freedom. Now I've got things that my mother or my grandmother didn't have the ability to do, but somehow I'm not happy and, and no, nothing a man does is going to make me happy. And I mean, it's, it's severely damaging to our culture and marriage in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Well, and at the heart of it, I think is really this, this resentment. I mean, Feminism has allowed women to claim that they are victims merely by the fact that they're women mm-hmm. and men are naturally the oppressors. These are sort of the categories mm-hmm. that were you know, placed upon us. So you're not going to actually be able to build anything with women resenting men and men resenting women. This is just not a recipe for any kind of happiness. And, you know, I think one of the the ways in which, you know, we're so beholden to feminism is is by the sense of guilt. Like we wouldn't have all these things without feminism. And I think there's a lot of evidence to show that we could have still acquired these things. Many of these things were sort of coming a- along with technology and changes in, in culture. They could have happened on a natural law level. They didn't have to happen in this way where we really have destroyed the whole culture um, to get these things. And, you know, the sad reality too, is that we, you know, you're talking about how unhappy men are. Women are just as unhappy. We're yes. much more depressed. Suicide levels are high. Substance abuse levels are high. All these things that just progressively continue to um, get worse. And so we're not paying enough attention to those realities and and looking at, you know, maybe some of these things that we did in the past actually were good for us and, and good for helping to, to build relationships. You know, certainly the idea of the family um, of you know, raising children, but now as it is, men and children are really the obstacle. You know, we're told those are the obstacle to our happiness. So yeah, it's really amazing how conf- confusing it is and, and people just don't know how to behave anymore because there are all these expectations that we sort of become genderless in our in our life. Yeah. And there's also multiple generations of people growing up without fathers in the home. Yeah. You've got a lot of women who are just, and I worked with them when I worked in the casino business, especially I worked with some girls who were, you know, nice ladies, but very antagonistic toward men didn't have fathers in the home. Were the first ones to go out and have a kid out of wedlock. I don't know why they want to repeat the same cycle, right? But there's, there's, you, you, you know, you're attracted to men, you want to sleep with men, but there's this distrust. You really don't trust. And, and it's really hard because at the first man in your life, that you have your father is not there for you. Like my father was for me. My father was amazing. Uh, If you don't have that, you tend to have a distrust all your life. And that is just continues to be repeated generation after generation. And it also affects people spiritually Mm -hmm. because women go, well, why should I trust this God thing, whatever, because I don't trust my own father. Right. So all of a sudden they're concerned about trusting a spiritual father. So it just permeates everything in society. Yeah. No. And we're living with that wreckage. I mean, we're in like the third generation of that now with people that really don't know how to parent or, uh, you know, to, to be a child, you know, that all those relationships that are so fundamental to our, our identity are missing. And so it's not surprising that we, we see the kind of mental illness that we have and the grasping at straws 
that people are, you know, the things that people are doing to try and make them themselves happy because they don't have the sort of natural means through which to to get at that. But you're absolutely right. It, it definitely affects the spiritual and, you know, the, the problems just keep compounding until finally somebody says, we're not going to keep doing this anymore and, you know, breaks the cycle. Yeah, it's it's nuts. It's it's really a shame. This book is so good, and I was you know very there. There were a lot of things in it, obviously, that I didn't know. Talk about the history of, of you know the feminism and how that translated into the trans movement, which has been brewing for a while. People may not realize it's been brewing for a while, but talk about how that's come into play. And I'll give you an example. A, a couple of years ago, I was working at a radio station, and one of the guys I work with is a gay guy, married to a guy. And one of the people I got along with best at work, and he came in one day in studio after I'd been talking about the trans thing. He said, you stay on that. You don't stop talking about that. Mm. And so there are a lot of gay people who are not on board with this trans thing. And to try to bring them all into that thing, it's right. not even true. Right. Uh, so talk about how it's really an attack on women, much more so that it has to do with the homosexual agenda. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, the... the Part of this always goes back to Marx. You know, everything it feels like in our in our century goes back to Marx. That the fundamental idea was to try and make women sort of these these great employees. And you know, Betty Friedan, she always said that she was a, a homemaker. You know, not involved in it any way in the women's movement until she wrote her book, The Feminine Mystique. But actually, there's a, a ton of evidence to show that she was very involved with the Communist Party. And her real goal was to try and help women think like Marxists and to to get out of the home to do what she you know to do production and to be a worker outside the home. So she was remarkable. In, in her effort to be able to help women or to, to, to make women really see themselves as either victims or that they were missing out on something. Right. Um, she described the home as this comfortable concentration camp, which, you know, it's just incredible language that she was able to get away with that. Um, but, but Betty Friedan, you know, this book sold 3 million copies within the first couple of years and was incredibly incredibly successful in getting women to think of themselves as workers and in this very Marxist kind kind of way where that we're just sort of robots. You know, that's actually the derivative of the, the Russian word for worker um, is robots. So she um, that's what it started with. But part of that requires shutting down our fertility, um, shutting down all, you know, all these this maternal instinct that we have, this desire to be a mother. And it's it's just phenomenal when you see how successful feminism is feminism has been in getting women to deny that bond or to deny that role that we all naturally have, not just biological, biologically, but also psychologically and, and spiritually. We're all called to, to mother um, in, a, in a very unique way. Um, so this is what was really shut down. So if you already have sort of this thread of women who th think of themselves purely as workers in this Marxist sense and victims, then it doesn't really take very much to then start saying, well, we can change this, especially when they were also simultaneously pushing this idea of getting rid of gender altogether, calling it a social contract, right. construct, um, making it very um, clear, you know, that there was an agenda there that, you know, they believed that lesbianism was the highest form of, of a relationship that women could have or men or women. Um, so that sort of gender bending was already going on. And so it's not really that much of a stretch when you start pushing into the technology that we then are, have, have at our fingertips to then move even further and, and just claim this identity of whoever we want to be, because that's what we've been doing already for 
you know, 50 years. So right. It's just medical, it's medical now before it was just yeah. about your attitude and everything else. But now I'm going to go back to something you said, we'll get back to the trans mm-hmm. thing. You talked about, you know, how Betty Friedan and all these other people mm-hmm. having it all was remember what's your name from yeah. Cosmo, Cosmo. Right. Uh, and you, you can't have it all. You can't have it all at once. And we can do anything right. as we want to in America, but you can't, I mean, even Nancy Pelosi, didn't she raise her kids before she got into politics? I think yeah. she did. Right. Yeah. There you go. But, but you mentioned the fact that, and I didn't want to gloss over it, that, it's not enough that, that that you're not doing enough if you're home raising your children and and having a great household and mm-hmm. and basically forming their little souls. You're not that's not enough for women now. Dump them off in a in a building all day. Give government more access to your kids because yep. you're not doing what you should be doing. And you and as a result of that, a lot of people don't know you clearly do, but a lot of people don't realize how much housing costs the housing costs have gone up as women have gone into the workplace it used to be that a man could go to work have a job and buy a house and now it's almost impossible unless somebody makes huge money on one income so that's another thing well you have to you have to have two incomes then the kids are in daycare and it's this big cycle that continues and it's not done unintentionally yeah education is another area that's through the roof because for that very same reason so yeah and i think you're you're pointing to something very important which is that aspect of power because the more the less power a household has a family has the more the government has and right. you know with with the poorest women it becomes this kind of what what i call in the book um borrowing from the sociologist Lionel Tiger that idea of bureaucracy being married to the yes. state um that takes over no marriage will actually ever take place there'll be all kinds of children and the children will then be, you know, fathered by this, by the state. So yeah, you can see all these different ways in which the, the, the power has really seeped in. And that's, you know, the reason why the family has to be attacked and has been attacked. And really this has been the goal, uh, you know, of the feminist agenda for so long, because that's the, the power then shifts when it ship moves away from the family. Absolutely right. And a strong nation is built on strong families. And when you say that now, you're trying to guilt somebody into something. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what's best for children, what's best for families. I think people should know that. If they don't, they they should. And like you said, we've got a couple of generations of people who really don't understand that because their moms weren't home with them. So why should they not, you know, turn around and put their kids in daycare and and not be there and that kind of thing? So going back to the trans movement, you know, like you mentioned, there's been an attempt for a very long time to basically equalize people or get rid of women. And now medically they can do it. And, you know, we could get into the whole concept of what these surgeries look like. You've seen them. I've seen the pictures. It's horrific. And you're basically maiming people for life and you're turning children into medical patients for life. People Mm -hmm. don't even, even if you thought you could turn Evan into Ava, you can't, we know that. Mm -hmm. But even if you thought you could, you know, okay, we'll give them these pills at 10 years old. We'll give them these prostate cancer drugs at 10. Nothing bad could happen. And then when they're 16, oh, you're good. You're a girl now or whatever it might be. Oh, wait a minute. No, you're a lifetime medical patient, which is one of the reasons, as you know, Planned Parenthood is one of the biggest providers of these kinds of things. So talk a little bit about that and how that's all just gotten completely. I mean, it's just insane that anybody buys into chopping mm-hmm. off perfectly healthy breast tissue when right. you're 14 or whatever. I mean, I, yeah. every day I'm just dumbfounded by what I'm seeing. Yeah, no. And, and rightfully so. I mean, I think it's really interesting because, uh, you know, I'm a, I have a PhD in philosophy and I've studied a lot of Aristotle. And, you know, one of the things that people object to Aristotle about is that he called women deformed males. But it's it's really ironic that this is sort of what we're doing to women at this point is <laughs> right. deforming biologically women. You know, we've um, taken away from women, their husbands, their children, their homes, 
And now we're actually taking away the, the, the bodies. We're taking our very bodies. We're taking away sports. We're taking away all the accolades. You know, woman of the year now usually goes to a man and a yeah. skirt. So Maybe contest, somebody's, yeah. yeah it's exactly. Somebody with no cellulite because it's really a guy. Okay, right. great. Exactly. That's fair. Well, it's it's just remarkable to see the direction in which this this has gone yeah. um, and continues to go. And the saddest thing is that it's, you know, Abigail Schreier in her book, um, Irreparable Damage, does an amazing job. God really bless her. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, really making it clear that these are, you know, these girls at a very tender age, mo most of them are on the autism spectrum um, or, you know, very bright, but very kind of loners and didn't get a lot of attention. And suddenly they, they're taking testosterone and they get all kinds of attention, you know, they ch change their names and all of this. So you can just really see, you know, the same thing happened in earlier generations with these different fads that women have fallen into. Um, and yet this one is just beyond the pale in the sense that it really is something that cannot be done. And as you said, it's just this gravy train that Planned Parenthood is, you know, especially as it's being, its numbers are being threatened by pro-life laws and legislation um, are now seeing like, well, maybe we should just get into testosterone and start, yeah. you know, filling up our coffers that way as well. So it, it's incredibly ugly. And I think that it's going to continue because it's so lucrative um, until the the lawsuits really start coming in from those who are detransitioning and and giving us the proof of just how awful this is. Yeah, and even those you know their voices are silenced or attempted to be silenced by what various uh, social media and things like that. They don't want to talk to these people. They're all about acceptance until yeah. somebody in their tribe decides right. they want to go back to being Evan. And it's like, wait a minute, no, you're Ava. We liked you when you were transitioning yeah. to Ava. You want to go back to mm -hmm. Evan? And I mm -hmm. I've heard stories. You have to of doctors who say, and the, the, you know, I hate to be graphic, but it's important that people understand this. They'll say, I have 25 year old men coming to me with the appendages of nine year old boys. Hmm. I can't fix that. It's no. over this. It's this big yeah. and it's how it's going to stay for no. the rest of their lives. And these are the things that, that people don't want to talk about. Yeah. And, and it needs to be discussed because those of us who are on the side of not doing this, we're the ones who love these people and right. understand that it's not that whatever, whatever going is going on with your life, with your parents got divorced or you got issues or whatever, this is not the way to solve it. And yeah. nobody, you know, the people on that side want to rush you down the hall for those shots or pills or whatever, and they don't care about anything yeah. else. Well, and that's uh, the, the big argument is that, that they'll commit suicide. And of course the suicide yeah. numbers are much stronger after the fact. So right. yeah, absolutely. I mean, the dried up, you hear about the dried up um, uteruses because of all the testosterone that they have to end up having hysterectomy you know, these are just horrifying. I mean, imagine the pain of that. You have a uterus drying up um, because it doesn't have the right hormones to, to feed it properly. So it's really um, astounding what, what we're seeing and, and that people are, are not, that, that it's, it's being perpetuated the way that it is. It's incredible. Absolutely. The book is called The End of Woman, How Smashing the Patriarchy Has Destroyed Us. Dr. Carrie Gresh is my guest. You know, it, it seems to me, and I've talked about this on my show a lot, if, if every parent in America banded together, every parent of a daughter and said, we're going to take our kids out of sports for a year because there's so much money, as you know, in youth sports. Mm -hmm. And they all said, nope, we're not doing this until you stop this. Then yeah. they'd have more power, but they won't. There's always somebody who feels like, oh, well, that wouldn't be nice. That wouldn't be inclusive until your daughter loses a scholarship. I have right. some friends, for example, who are not wealthy people. Their daughter was able to go to a nice a private college in New York. Never could have done it had she not been great at volleyball. That mm -hmm. was her only way to get into college for free. And right. so that's what a lot of people are are counting on. And all of a sudden, some boy is going to come in and take that away from you. But mm -hmm. the parents, they need to band together. They have a lot of strength. And I don't see why they don't do it. I mean, some are, but I mean, I'm talking everybody has to band together. 
Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea. I, I'm thinking it's encouraging to see that parents are actually doing something at this point. You know, I, there's there it feels like the the tide's changing a little bit, and maybe it's just because the trans movement has sort of overplayed itself, yes. um, overplayed its hand too much. You know, the Dylan Mulvaney situation is just amazing that Bud Light has suffered so much from that because, of course, corporations haven't suffered in the past, and I think it's encouraging that something is happening. And I know in my own home state of Virginia, it's it's heartening to see what you know, the governor Youngkin was elected because parents were really oh, he's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think there are things happening, but that's a great idea. I mean, a part of the problem is too, is we just don't know how to fight these things. I mean, it feels right. like, uh, it, it's just like, where do you boycott? Where do you start? How do you, how can you be effective when you're just one right. person? But yeah, I think if we could somehow get everybody to do it, that would be amazing. Yeah. Every parent just says, we're not, no, my daughter, we're, our daughters are not showing up for soccer. Nobody, no one's yeah. going to show up except your, your little boy you think is going to try to play with the girls. No one's going to be there except him. Yeah. And I, I think that it's a, it's a thought, but I don't, you'd have to get everybody on board and I'm not sure how you yeah. could. God bless Riley Gaines yeah. for standing up against it. Right. Even people yeah. like Martina Navratilova, once again, it's not about gay people. This trans movement is not about gay people. And that's what people don't want to talk about. Yeah. And she's even said, Hey, this is wrong. Got nothing to, she doesn't care you know, who people sleep with, but it's a matter of, Hey, this isn't fair for somebody who's got the biological strength of a boy competing. I mean, it's so, it's so crazy to even talk about this, Dr. Gress. Why are we have, even having these conversations? Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's actually, I mean, a good, great question. I address it in the book actually that we, you know, you get to a point in cultural decay and there, there are going to be three things that will happen that will follow from it when, and it's in the second to last chapter, there's a sociologist named J.D. Unwin who, who wrote in the 60s, I'm sorry, in the 30s about collapsing cultures. And he said, there's one marker that happens in every civilization. And when this happens, what follows is the end of monogamy, the end of faith and the end of reason. And, you know, all of those things, I think we can see we're absolutely this place where we're beyond um, being reasonable anymore. Absolutely. Faith is gone. Monogamy is gone. And the one thing is um, the end of the prohibition against premarital sex. When that mm -hmm. happens, then the culture has about 100 years um, to, you know, three generations before it will it will die out. So it, I think that that's the, the fascinating aspect of it is to, to, you know, to know that we have the science behind this. We know what's why this is happening, that we can't the laissez faire attitude about our communities and our, our culture it can only go on so long before, you know, a culture commits suicide. And that's really, I think, what we're seeing in so many ways and why this feels so crazy, uh, you know, just what's going on. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, to me, the way you define a culture is not what goes on because evil goes on in every culture. We know that premarital sex goes on right. and, and, you know, abuse and all, we know that. To me, you define a culture partially by what people are willing to accept. I mean, if, if you whip out a stick and start beating your wife in an intersection in, you know, in Vegas or Virginia, someone's going to stop you, not in Riyadh, right. but in Vegas or Virginia, someone's going to stop you. I mean, that's what's, what does the culture accept? And going back to your point about, uh, you know, premarital sex and whatnot, I mean, people... <laughs> nowadays they they're just right out there it used to be that yeah. they did things and they didn't talk about it or whatever but th there's just zero shame in anything anybody does and the bible talks about the fact that they've forgotten how to even blush and that is so yeah. true we see that yeah. all over the place today mm -hmm. no you're absolutely right and i actually never thought about it that way in terms of what it, it's it will accept i think there's you know, the, the big element too, is just even what we build. And, and part of that, you know, what JD Enwin talks about is, you know, there's just, all of us have just a certain amount of time. And if you're spending all of that amount of time that you have 
on things that are just time wasters. You know, think about all the breakups and relationships, you know, oh, people are going through all the hookups, you know, all the waste of time. Right. It's really fascinating. Like what you, what are the things that you're not doing with your life that you're not building the ways you're not, you know, you're not giving to your own family. You're not building a family, all, all of these kinds of things. So it's really fascinating to think about it from that aspect. And then you, of course, add on to it all the resentment that people have towards each other. And it just, you know, compounds the problem even further. So yeah, I think it's amazing what, what we're seeing. Yeah. There were some young girls who used to walk in my park and they were in their twenties and they, they're Mormon missionaries and they'd walk around the park in the morning together. All of us had our dogs and we were talking one time and they said, well, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Mm. And I thought about it and I thought, don't waste your time with inconsequential people or inconsequential things. And yeah. it's hard to know what those are when you're in your twenties, you know, yeah. what God wants you to do, what God doesn't want you to do. Hopefully you're doing that. But you, as you get older, you start to look back on your life and go, why did I waste so much time with that situation, that person, that whatever, that occupation, whatever it might be. And you realize how time is so fleeting and it's so important, but people get caught up in the nonsense and they get caught up in the social media and all these things. And they think that's real life. And then they suddenly realize, or those are their real friends on Facebook or whatever else. Right. And then they realize later on, not quite, it's not a real world. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's what feminism is, has done to us in so many respects is really, you know, brainwashed us into thinking that this is really what real womanhood is, that this, you know, this life of pursuing a career and, you know, shunning family and, and children until we get to this place where we feel like we're ready for it. Um, you know, I think that that's what an incredible disservice they have done to us because so many of us, you know, end up in this place where we're like, well, it's either too late or this isn't really the future I dreamed of or, you know, I'm sure I have a lot of money in, in the bank, but I don't have any family, you know, those mm -hmm. kinds of things that I think a lot of women and I hear from a lot of women who tell me that, you know, they did everything. And I know in my own life for years, I did everything that I, I thought the culture was telling me to do mm -hmm. and anticipated, you know, a certain kind of results. And when those don't happen, then you're left wondering. And, um, you know, a lot of times people just don't realize that until it's it's too late. And so that's, I think, the real tragedy that we're, we're dealing with is just the lies that we've been told about womanhood. Yeah. And I'm thinking about when I was a kid, there was a commercial. Uh, you're probably too young to remember. Anjali, there was a- Oh, I remember it. Yeah. I can bring home the bacon, fry it mm -hmm. up in a pan. You know, and that's yeah. the truth. And we have women now who think they can do all that. Not that you can't, but right. something always gets sacrificed if you try to do everything. And this idea of being insanely busy, the Bible says, don't kill yourself to get rich. Not that you shouldn't work hard or be ambitious, but there's right. only so much you can do and then balls get dropped. And something else that has been drilled into women's heads lately is this idea that you don't need a man. I mean, they're not important in your life and you can do just fine without them. I think that's right. And, it, you know, this is really, uh, you know, pushed back into the culture through the Barbie movie that just came out. It just mm -hmm. this idea that men are completely unnecessary. Um, there's not a single necessary man in, in the whole Barbie movie. And of course, you know, everything comes apart when Ken's in charge. And, um, you know, the women are, are necessary to bring order and to, and peace. And that, that's kind of the, the myth that we have been sold that men are just, you know, nice dolls that should sit on the beach, um, right. like Ken does and, you know, not be involved in, in any way that women can sort of take over. And it's amazing to see how successful that movie has been in light of the fact that it's done. It, what it's done is it's created a sense of fun. Um, there's a lot of pink and great clothing, and there's a sense of nostalgia. Um, but those are sort of the ways in which the feminist movement has gotten around our defenses. And so we sort of absorb all of that with it, all that ideology with it, without really realizing, like, wait a minute, there's a much bigger agenda happening here. 
that's yeah. telling us just how you know worthless men are. Um, meanwhile, we're of course enjoying the fruits of what men have brought to us through our country, through our infrastructure. You know, even my own home. I remember when I was having an addition made on. Other than painters, I didn't see a woman ever when I, my home was being built. You know, the roof, um, the the concrete poured, all of that. Right. So anyway, I think that that's just the remarkable thing is how invisible we have made men in in our culture because how how strong this the ideology is. That's true, and I see a lot of guys on Twitter and various places platforms who don't want to get married because of what the courts do to them. Now everybody yeah. should have rights, and and I know you talk about that in the book. Everyone should have rights, uh, you know, clearly equal rights, but they don't anymore. And the men are just hammered in court, and they don't want to get married. They're they're terrified. They're going to be married for five years. She's going to walk. She's going to get everything. You're going to be paying forever. You're going to lose your family, as yeah. you mentioned in the book. Seventy percent of divorces are started by women, and they don't yeah. understand why they're so unhappy. Well, this is supposed to fulfill me to be on my own to do what I want to yeah. do, make my own decisions. You know, sleep as late as I want, whatever. And they really realize it, they're missing something huge in their lives. Yeah. Well, and that's just what's happened with this, the kind of entitlement that we've also been told, you know, women can't make mistakes or believe all women or follow your bliss, right. and all of that without really recognizing that there's something vitally important about perseverance, about suffering, about giving of yourself, about taking care of others and looking out for others. You know, all of these kinds of things are so downplayed. And yet that's really where ultimately our, our fulfillment is, is going to come from. Um, and that, that's the real tragedy is we don't even know how to get there anymore because we've been told all of these other avenues are, are the, the authentic way. And, you know, everything else is codependency or something really right. psychologically distorting or awful, you know, according to women like Gloria Steinem and whatnot. So yeah, it's, it's yeah. incredibly sad what women are, are being sold at this point. I can't imagine our grandmothers or great grandmothers getting up in the morning and wondering, is he meeting my needs today? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's what we hear now. It's like, he's not supposed to make you happy. That's not what marriage is supposed to be. That's supposed to be about something so much deeper than that. But that's what we've taught multiple generations. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've stripped everything else out of it. So it really has just become about, you know, our own personal fulfillment. So it's, it's, it's incredibly sad. We've got to yes. work out for us. Well, sure. it is, but you've got some great, great information in this book. I learned a lot and the, the, just the, the history of this was amazing and what's happening and, and also some great advice for try, trying to turn things around. Dr. Carrie Gress, what a privilege to talk to you. Thank you for writing a great book. And uh, I, I so appreciate it because this is what the culture needs to hear. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. And let me just say, make a suggestion to you as a parent. If you're a parent, please get your daughter a copy of this book. If she's a teenager, if she's a, a young adult, women need to hear this. They're not being told this. The world is telling them men are your enemy. If you can't get a good man, just have a baby by yourself and the baby's in daycare. You're not raising him. Women are lonely. They're uh, mad at men. Men are confused. They don't know what women want. I mean, it's just a disaster and it doesn't have to be that way. So please take the time to read this book or do other research and let's try to turn things around before it's too late for a whole lot of people. I'm Heidi Harris. Don't forget you can follow us at DontShrinkBack.com. Don't Shrink Back on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Don't Shrink Back. God calls us to not shrink back. I encourage you not to do so. Until we meet again.